Thank you, Nate. Greetings to each of you in the name of Jesus this morning. Daryl, thanks for the reminder about Naomi. I too thought about that this morning. Um, and to Daryl and Jolene and Karina and James and Janet, um, I just want to acknowledge again the precious gift that Naomi was to each of you. And, uh, but then along with that, Rachel, for the gift that she has been to the family the past six years is also very precious. <clears throat> Secondly, I want to just take this opportunity to publicly thank those of you that have taken the time to pass on notes of encouragement or small gifts in relation to pastor's appreciation this month. Um, those are extremely meaningful. I'm speaking on behalf of Ivan's and Nate's as well. When I say this, I'm sure. Um, it was interesting even getting an anonymous note from uh, a school child, which that's just precious to, to get something like that. And I uh, just want to express the blessing and encouragement it is uh, at times uh, to, to get things like that and just want to thank you for that. <clears throat> if someone were to ask you, what Jesus most cherishes, what would be your response? And I'm not going to ask you to um, answer that out loud. Give that some thought. I can't point to a chapter and verse to answer that question, but I do, would like for you to think along those lines a little bit, and, and we'll come back to this later on in the message in what I believe is the thing that Jesus most cherishes. <clears throat> Lord willing, as you know, in three weeks, a brother will be called to serve alongside Ivan, Nate, and myself as a fellow pastor. This is a significant time in the life of, of this congregation as I was thinking about it, I realized this will only be the fourth time in more than 40 years that a lay brother is called into church leadership from within this congregation. Rightfully, this carries a great sense of responsibility for every member, but, also, but especially for the one that's ultimately called as well. Appreciated the verse that Nate read, I want to also reassure us with two other verses. Hebrews 13.5, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And 1 Peter 5.7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So in the midst of this, and I'm acknowledging that I, I think that we all feel the weight of that, the responsibility of that. As deeply as this affects each of us, I believe that Jesus cares about this even more than any of us do. And, and to me, that is deeply reassuring. Um, Faith Christian Fellowship is his body. It's his the building, not this building, but it's his building. The church is his building. Faith Christian Fellowship is his betrothed bride. And I'm in no way suggesting that we are the only church, but we are among thousands of local churches around the globe who have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and we can rest in confidence that Jesus has a greater vested interest in this congregation and the ordination than any one of us do. And he has entrusted this responsibility of identifying and appointing, um, ordaining to fallible humans redeemed by the grace of God. And he has done so until he then presents us his spotless bride, um, as it says in Ephesians 5.27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Could somebody get me a cup of water? I'm, my ma- mouth is feeling a little dry already. <clears throat> this morning, I want to step back and consider the incredible privilege that we have in joining the creator of the universe to advance his kingdom through our local church. I also appreciated Robert's devotions this morning on intentionally remembering what Christ has done for us and and making that a focal point. It's all about recognizing who we are in context with who God is and what he is doing in and through and around us. So often... And I'm speaking for myself here, but I think probably for all of us, we get caught up in our own perspectives, our own ideas, our own opinions, that we end up trying to control circumstances and the church in ways that we were never authorized to do. And it's no wonder that we end up getting frustrated or confused in that process. This morning is a call and a reminder for us to recognize the church for what it really is. It is Jesus Christ's body. It is Jesus Christ's building. It is Jesus Christ's bride. We are not independent. Rather, we are dependent on Jesus Christ and his plan for Faith Christian Fellowship. I've entitled this morning's message... um, We are Jesus Christ's church. First of all, as much as we would like to, well, I'm not sure why that's not advancing. Darren, it's there in front of you. Do you mind advancing that one? You can take it back with you if you want. Um. As much as we tend to act as if this is our church, we are actually only stewards. This is God's church, and Jesus Christ is the head. As pastors, we are simply under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, um, Jesus Christ. And in our meetings, when we get together, you know, our, our prayer frequently, um, I'm not saying it is every meeting, but it should be, but is not to pursue our own wills and our own desires, but rather to do that which is the will of Jesus Christ. Um, each of us knows, and I'm saying each of us, I'm talking about us as pastors, but probably every member here as well, knows what it is like to give up what we prefer 
for what we believe is best for the church and what Jesus Christ desires and what honors him. I'm not saying that we always get it right, but that is our constant desire. <clears throat> Colossians 1.18, and, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, he being Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. There is no other head of the church. Now, um, there are titles. There are, uh, there are churches that have all this hierarchy and so forth, and even the pope is considered the head of the Roman Catholic Church. But ultimately, there is no head of the church, other than, of the true church, other than Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. In Ephesians 4... Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Again, as we mature, as we grow, we become more like more of who Christ wants us to be. We grow in every way into him who is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.23 for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. <clears throat> Again, just reiterating that Jesus Christ is the head of the body. And then Ephesians 2, 18 and 19. <clears throat> and I included both of these verses because the verse 18 kind of uh, starts off incomplete. Um, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up about without reason by his sensuous mind. And then this is verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. So these people are not recognizing Jesus Christ as the head from whom the whole body of Christ, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Growth within a church does not happen apart from the head. The head is what allows for the growth. It doesn't happen apart from that. And therefore, that is key for the growth of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are Christ's hands. His feet here in Virginia right now. And he relies on us imperfect humans to accomplish his will, to advance his kingdom. And that requires our participation. Um, it, it's not that he needs us. He's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But he chooses to use redeemed sinners to represent himself to the world around us. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. We are Jesus Christ's body. He is the head. We are controlled by Jesus. 
not our own ambitions if we're, if we're truly recognizing Christ as the head. And then in verse 18 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians as well, it says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That includes everyone that is sitting here. You are not here by accident. God chose you to be here today. And the King James Version, instead of as he chose, uses the phrase, as it pleaseth him. So not only did he choose, but it's what pleases him. I have to remind myself at times and ask myself, do I have the confidence, do I trust that what God is doing is best? Now, I wouldn't admit that I don't have that, but when I think of what thoughts go through my mind and so forth, it really is a challenge of whether I believe what God is doing is best. It's not always readily evident in the present, but Jesus is the head, and we are members of his body. The head determines how the body works and what it does. We are Jesus Christ's body. He is the head. Secondly, Jesus Christ is our builder at Faith Christian Fellowship. This congregation was established in late 1976 with a dedication of this physical building in the fall of 77. There have been many, many changes over the past 45 years of existence. From explosive numerical growth in the 80s to a split with nearly half the congregation leaving in the mid-90s. And then over the last 25 years, there's been multiple cases of cancer among members. There's been frequent turnover with members moving in and moving out. Um, navi navigating these kinds of constant changes can be challenging. It's challenging for members, and it's challenging for leaders as well. At the same time, I can say with confidence that I believe the Holy Spirit has been at work in and through us, molding us into the image of Jesus Christ. I believe that that has been happening. Jesus is the one that is building this congregation. It's not any one of us, but it is Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I would encourage you sometime just to meditate on those five words there. I will build my church. Jesus is building his church here as long as we don't interfere, as long as we cooperate with him. He may choose to build it in ways that don't meet our expectations. We may need to adjust what our definition of success is, but it is successful 
if Jesus is the one that's building it, and we're not building it in our own strength. We aren't manufacturing ways to grow that give us the feel-good feelings. Um, that's not what success is, but it's successful if Jesus is the one that's building the church. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, it says that he's also, uh, that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. I don't think it's unfair to characterize Jesus as being the foundation as well. He is the cornerstone. He's the reference point. He is the anchor of the church that is being built. And we have been invited to be part of God's household, members of the household of God, into the very, we've been invited into the very family of God. We've been adopted. And we are now co-heirs with Jesus himself. And Jesus is the one that is building us together. Um, and not, I, I notice that he says here that in him you also are being built together uh, into a dwelling place. It's not just individually, but he is building us together to be a suitable place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. And again, this is the work of Jesus, and we simply need to allow him to fit us into the building that he has envisioned and is building. Moving on to 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, and that's Jesus Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We often refer to buildings as churches today, Not, but they are actually simply church buildings. And uh, I think we need to remind ourselves of that at times. While a metaphor of the church is a building, or one of the metaphors, it's only a metaphor, and we end up muddying the waters when we say how we talk about church. Um, going to church is not a very accurate term. Um, we know what we mean, but it's not very accurate in what we're saying. Several weeks ago, I was in Harrisonburg for some appointment, and as I was driving up Route 42, a church sign caught my attention. And it wasn't until I went some distance beyond that I realized the significance of the words that were on the sign. And so as I was studying, I found this photo online, I don't care about Lindale Mennonite Church, but what I found interesting is that it says the meeting house of Lindale Mennonite Church. I was like, that 
is a good way to think about it. The church is the people. It's not this building. Um, the location, the building, is not the church. It is simply a meeting house. The building here at Faith Christian is not Faith Christian Fellowship. We are. And other than um, when we meet here, we're spread out from Washington, D.C. to Madison, Virginia. That is the church. That is Faith Christian Fellowship. This is a more accurate of Faith Christian Fellowship than a picture of this building. That's where we are. You and I, each one of us, and I might just mention, we also, beyond this map, beyond this picture, we extend to Richmond, Virginia, and York, South Carolina as well, um, and want to recognize that. But you and I, all of us together, comprise the church that Jesus is building, a church that can withstand the attacks of the enemy. And each one of us contributes to the strength or the weakness of this congregation by how we respond to the one who is building, Jesus Christ. We are Jesus Christ's building, and Jesus is the architect and the builder. Next, Jesus Christ is our bridegroom. here at Faith Christian Fellowship. <clears throat> While we're familiar with this word picture of Jesus being the bridegroom of the church, I believe that we miss a lot of the related cultural elements that show up throughout the New Testament that reinforce this image. And I'm going to be sharing several cultural aspects of this based on several resources, including the book, the Forgotten Jesus, uh, How Western Christians Should Follow an Eastern Rabbi by Robert Galati. Typically, the parents of a young man at about 17 years of age would start looking for a suitable wife, and this is back in Jesus' day that this would have been the case in, in the Middle Eastern cultures, would start looking for a suitable wife who was usually 13 to 15 years old. Now that seems almost uh, unthinkable for us. That was the culture of Jesus' day. The arranging of marriage was the responsibility of the two fathers. When a suitable bride was found, the two fathers, the son and the daughter, would meet to negotiate a bride price. And while this is not so much purchasing, if you will, the bride, it is more about showing respect for the bride's family or their household that was going to be losing this precious daughter and that she was a, a contributing member of this household and now they were going to lose that. After a price was agreed upon, the four would share a meal together. 
solidifying this arrangement with, or contract, if you will, with a cup of wine. The groom drinking from a cup and offering it to the woman, indicating his desire to make a covenant with her and being willing to give his life for her. Now, suddenly, as you think about communion, doesn't that take on a whole other meaning when you think about that this was Jesus took a cup and shared it with his disciples? After the arrangement was finalized, the bridegroom and his father returned home to build a place for them to live. The custom was to add an addition to the end of the bridegroom's father's house. So they would live in the same house, if you will, or a household. The father would supervise the construction project. After weeks of work or months of work, however long it would take, the bridegroom might inquire of his father whether it was time, whether they were done, whether it was time to go get the bride. And, you know, not yet, he would reply. He had the final say as when was the time to go get the bride. In the meantime, the young bride would come home, would be home with her family, waiting expectantly for her bridegroom to come and take her with him, knowing that he was preparing a place for her in his father's house. So as she waited, she might be somewhat envious as her friends or even sisters were retrieved by their bridegrooms and off they go to live with them. But she would remain vigilant and faithful, waiting and watching for her groom to walk down the street to take her with him. Knowing this context... Listen to the, what Jesus said in the upper room concourse in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus' disciples at, in the upper room would have immediately recognized these words were clear language used in a marriage proposal. The word picture was very clear to them. They would, they would have heard Jesus saying that he, is, he will give up his life as the bride price for them, for the church. They would have heard Jesus was leaving temporarily before returning someday to take them home with him. He didn't know the time or the season because only Jesus' father does. But they would want to make sure they weren't caught off guard and to be ready when he returns, even when it's when least expected. As I mentioned already, but at the Last Supper, Jesus sealed that covenant with a cup of wine. As each disciple drank from the cup, they knew what it meant. Jesus had agreed to a price for them to belong to him. The price was his body, his blood, his life. And every time the disciples celebrated communion, this same picture would have flashed through their minds. Jesus paid for me with his life and sealed his promise with his blood. 
he really meant it, and he will come back. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, just 20, takes on a different meaning as well in thinking about this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I will just point out that you in this verse and in many places in Scripture is plural. Even though in our English language it can be singular or plural, we tend to read it as singular, but, uh, but it is plural. It's talking about a group. It's not just um, one person. I find that better understanding this cultural context of marriage gives a much richer perspective to the descriptions of Christ and the church, and the church being the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, that she might be holy and without blemish. While these verses at the end of Ephesians 5 are often used to describe the marriage relationship, it seems to me, and I'm not saying I'm right in this, that the primary goal in using marriage is that Paul is using marriage to describe the relationship of Christ and the church. The church, the bride of Christ, is being sanctified. It's being washed by the word of God to be ultimately presented without any flaw, without any blemish, no wrinkle or spot, completely holy to Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. So as I thought about the question about what does Jesus most cherish, I believe the bridegroom most cherishes his bride, the church, and that includes us at Faith Christian Fellowship. We sang the song, I love thy kingdom, Lord. A phrase in there, the church is described as dear as the apple of thine eye. I believe that that describes how Jesus views the church. It certainly doesn't diminish that he loves the world and everyone in it. And he works through us to reach others as well. It's not like he doesn't care about others, but the church is the apple of his eye. It's who he really cares about. Verses 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. The fact that God the Father chose the church to be the bride of Christ and negotiating, if you will, offering that Jesus pay the bride price by giving his life. We, collectively as a church, have the promise of Jesus returning to take us, his bride, the church, to his father's house for eternity. Now that whole concept is profound. 
when you think about it. God the Father chose us, the church, to spend eternity with his son. And his son was required to give his life to do that. We've been told this is what this all means, but it doesn't mean that we grasp or really fully understand it, the significance of it. I, I continue to marvel at that. Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb, which is Jesus, has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. When the father of the bridegroom says the time has come, he will depart his father's house to claim his bride. This would be announced by, with shouting and celebration as friends and family join him to go to the bride's house. Behold, the bridegroom comes, and the bride will be there ready to meet him with anticipation and joy. Jesus is simply waiting for the Father to say, now is the time. And then we can anticipate joining Jesus and anticipate the greatest feast and celebration ever when he comes to claim us for his bride, the church. This is not my church. This is not our church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are Jesus Christ's church. We're his body, we're his building, his bride. Last slide. Jesus Christ is our head, our builder, our bridegroom here at Faith Christian Fellowship. How can I best show appropriate honor to Jesus Christ within Faith Christian Fellowship? For what he has done for us today, this week, in the coming year or years. We can face the future, the unknowns, the ordination, the joys, the sorrows, with the full confidence that Jesus is the head of this body and that he is building this church into a spotless bride for which he personally is coming to take us with him to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Nothing in this life or on this earth can compare to the wonder of that reality. And my challenge for each of us is let's not get distracted with what's around us and lose sight of that fact of what God is doing in and through each one of us. Let's stand together for prayer. I'm going to Pray a blessing from Ephesians, or pray a prayer from Ephesians 
over us as we think about this and just absorb what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, but very much applies to each one of us today as well. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the measurable, immeasurable greatness of his, of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him, to Jesus, be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.